And good morning again to everyone, and good morning to you that are logged on to Facebook Live and that will be logging on to YouTube at a later time. Uh, before we go down to Children's Church, if you could give us just a second, since uh, Veterans Day, of course, is Wednesday coming up, and uh, we went, decided to go ahead and, and uh, recognize and celebrate our veterans uh, this weekend as opposed to next. So uh, we have a little short uh, uh, PowerPoint or video presentation for you, uh, as what, and then uh, we'll recognize our veterans following that. So, guys? This is for the ones who heard the fight for freedom calling. For the ones who answered, I'll do what I can. For the ones who ran the battle, who believed that freedom mattered. Oh, this is for you. And this is for the ones whose orders took them to the front lines. Ones who fell and never made it home. For the ones who came back broken, with memories too hard to be spoken. Oh, this is for you. We remember. We remember. We are thankful. We are grateful. We know freedom isn't free. Children's Church. Anybody 12 and under wants to go over? I believe Miss Lisa is taking everybody over. 
and Ernie, maybe. <laughs> so, so they're heading over for that. Uh, if you want to go ahead and mark in your hymnals, number 178, Almost Persuaded, we'll use that as our hymn of invitation uh, today. And as you might, as you might have guessed, since we're doing our veterans uh, recognition today, that uh, we may uh, very well expect a sermon that has something to do with that as well. Uh, of course, we know, as I said uh, uh, earlier, uh, that uh, Wednesday is Veterans Day, and uh, we do appreciate the service and the continuing service of our men and women in the military uh, as they fight to protect our freedoms and uh, keep us all safe. Uh, one of the trademarks of uh, our military is that the men and women who serve in the military, they must conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the uniform that they wear and the country that they serve. And there is a code of conduct and each branch of service uh, and every soldier must follow this uh, or face the military justice system. Uh, most of you probably have no idea uh, what that uh, code of conduct is or how it reads, so I did put it on a slide here this morning. Uh, and I'll read that over for you just to give you some kind of idea of what our men and women, what's expected of them when you put the uniform on. The first section, in the, and I'll just go through and read these uh, in order. This is number one. I am an American fighting in the forces which guard my country and our way of life. I am prepared to give my life in their defense. Number two. I will never surrender of my own free will. If in command, I will never surrender the members of my command while they still have the means to resist. Number three. If I am captured... I will continue to re resist by all means available. I will make every effort to escape and to aid others to escape, and I will accept neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. Number four, if I become a prisoner of war, I will keep faith with my fellow prisoners. I will give no information or take part in any action which might be harmful to my comrades. If I am senior, I will take command. If not, I will obey the lawful orders of those appointed over me and will back them up in every way. Number five, when questioned, should I become a prisoner of war, I am required to give my name, rank, service number, and date of birth. I will evade answering further questions to the utmost of my ability, and I will make no oral or written statements disloyal to my country and its allies or harmful to their cause. And number six, I will never forget that I am an American, fighting for freedom, responsible for my actions, and dedicated to the principles which made my country free. I will trust in my God and in the United States of America. And all of the branches of service fall under this code of conduct. And we as Christians have that standard of conduct that we must follow as well. We have to be good witnesses and servants to the Lord. And that with that code that I just read in mind, I'd like to, this morning's sermon title is Conduct Worthy of A. And I'll let you fill in the blank. 
but you can turn over to Philippians chapter 1, and that's where we'll be studying from this morning. Because in a very similar way, as Christians, we have a code that's written down. And Paul wrote these down in this letter he penned to the church at Philippi. And he encourages them, and he encourages us also uh, to follow it. And that's what I want to do this morning. I realize, and, and maybe many of you uh, were expecting a, a sermon that talks about the results of the election. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And I'm going to say some things that may surprise you this morning in, in light of that. But uh, it's going to all be in the context of these three verses or four verses here that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. And let's read it starting at verse 27. He says, only let your conversation, or some of your translations may say conduct there, and that's actually the more accurate word. Only let your conduct be as is becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them the evident token of perdition or destruction, could be used there, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. And those words are very true to us today. Those calls for that type of action to be steadfast and firm in where we stand as Christians are as true today as they were when Paul wrote those very words. And I want us to look at our code of conduct according to these, these scriptures here. And we have four of them that we're going to look at. And the first one is that conversation in King James or conduct in many of your other translation, that our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just as the American soldier must conduct themselves in a manner worthy of their nation, we must also conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of our nation. And that nation is a heavenly. Do we recall what he said, uh, the Hebrew writer? We don't seek this country, we seek another. Heaven, a heavenly. And our conduct as Christians in all circumstances must be conduct worthy of being a Christian. Paul says even to hear about things uh, and words for them and, and what he uses. You know, we know it gets around, especially today uh, on social media. Uh, it doesn't take long to, to word, for word to spread like wildfire. And uh, rest assured that if a Christian acts in a manner that is unworthy of being a Christian, the story will gain speed. Cell phones will blow up. Text will blow up. Social media plastered with different posts. The word will get out if we do not conduct ourselves as we should. Now, how do we do that in light of the election? Many of you read a post that I made. Uh, I don't remember if it was election day or the day after the election. I guess it was the day after the election. 
And I put on there that we had to remember in times in the Bible about how that we've seen people in dire straits and hopeless situations. Uh, and God made his plan known. And when it is God's will, it would be done. But if it's not God's will, there's nothing that can go against that. So we have to resolve ourselves. Either we put our faith in God and his perfect will and say because the election didn't go our way, we're satisfied with no as his answer. Now that's a hard pill to swallow. But Rob, we're on the right side. Rob, we, we did everything we were supposed to do. Rob, we prayed. We, we humbled ourselves. Sometimes God answers no. And we have to accept that. Does that mean that we change our conduct? Absolutely not. Because I've been told no before. Have you? Have, have, is there anybody here, anybody watching, that's had every prayer they've ever petitioned God answered yes? That's what I thought. And that's how we have to view this. We have to stand fast and let our conduct be worthy of Christ. Otherwise, are we any different from what we've seen happen four years ago? If you recall, the rioting, the protesting, and the dissent started then, and it never let up. And I've got some more things that's really an indictment in this sermon today that I'm going to bring to light here in just a few minutes that will, you may or may not know. So the first thing that we have to remember is that our conduct must be worthy of calling ourselves a Christian. We should know how Christ acts because we have our Bibles. We should know his teachings because we should be studying our Bibles every day. We are, right? I mean, so that we know how to conduct ourselves as a Christian, and we're calling ourselves Christian, we're studying our Bibles every day so that we make sure that our conduct is worthy of a Christian. I'll let you answer your own question. Our second point comes also from verse 27, where we have to stand fast in one spirit. Stand fast in one spirit, he says. That you stand fast in one spirit there in the middle. And this is the area that the modern church could really use some help in. We could. I did a little research. Roughly 328 million people in the United States. 205 million of those citizens of the United States claim Christianity. In other words, two-thirds of the population of our nation claim to be Christians. Are you following me here? 205 million. I'm going to just be real conservative. 102,500,000 of those are adults of legal voting age. That's very, very liberal. That's saying half the people in the United States are less than uh, 18 years old. So we know that's very liberal. Okay? Do we know how many votes were cast this past election? 146 million votes were cast in this election. And we know 
70 to 75 million, that's how it was, or the vote count is at this, at this course, has, appears to have won the election. You follow me? 102 million professing Christians in the United States and 75 million votes won the election. We don't have a liberal problem in the United States, folks. We have a Christian problem in the United States. Because two-thirds of this nation claims to be Christian. Two-thirds of this nation did not vote Christian values this time. 75 million people, and rest assured there were Christians in that, in that vote count that voted against biblical values. We have a Christian problem. We don't have a liberal problem because we outnumber the liberals in this nation, according to the surveys that I read, by a full one-third more. So I'm going to back up to where my first point was. We are studying our Bibles every day, aren't we? So that we can learn to act like Christians are supposed to act. You are studying your Bibles every day there on Facebook, aren't you? What about you on YouTube? And you know what's the problem is, I don't get out but to about 100 people. 120 if you add in YouTube. And that's about how many people watch these sermons. And it's kind of like preaching to the choir. But I also have this laid on my heart to say these things. I'm not mad at nobody. I'm just, I'm just taking facts, folks. Taking pure, simple facts. We seem to be dismayed because here we are in this position and, we, and both sides use fear for their tactics. If you elect them, this is going to happen. Oh, if you elect them, this is going to happen. We hold our own destiny in our hands. But we give that destiny up for something else other than what we have our hope in for our eternity. We are not standing fast in one spirit as Christians in the United States of America. There is no doubt in my mind more Christians voted, more people voted this election than has in, I think, 110 years. So something has happened, and I'm not discounting any of the efforts of the preachers, the revivals, the prayer services. I think it was wonderful. I think it had success. I think it had good results, but it has not gone far enough. The results have not reached far enough in this country yet. And I think that's why God answered no. When you have the potential of 102 million Christians that could simply get out and vote Christian values and only 70 million seem to vote it that way, there's a problem. So we have to stand fast, just as Paul was telling the church at Philippi, you have to stand fast in the Spirit. And that's the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit to follow and to be a pleasing servant of the Lord. Third point of our conduct is very similar to it. comes from 27 also. Striving for the faith. He says there at the end, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving for the... And we've seen that with the efforts of the National uh, and World Day of Prayer and Repentance back in September. We've seen that with Franklin Graham calling on national prayer uh, 
all before this election. And I'm not, those have been successful, folks. They're successful. But we've got a lot of work to do in this nation. <clears throat> if you look, <clears throat> excuse me, if you look on the maps, uh, Fox News has an excellent map that has it broke down by county. Who won what, what color? The vast, vast, vast majority of the area of the United States is red. But in the high population centers is blue. Just like Lexington and, and Louisville. Jefferson and Fayette County is the only two blue, I reckon, unless they've updated it, is the only two blue counties in the state of Kentucky. So guess where the number one mission field for the state of Kentucky is right now? Lexington and Louisville. We have a Christian problem in this country. And I'm not discounting sending missions to foreign lands to spread the gospel. It's needed, but it is needed in our cities as well. We are not striving for the faith with one mind. How many denominations are there in the United States? Anybody have an idea? Over 200 denominations in the United States, Christian denominations in the United States. 200. And much to my surprise, when I began to research this a little deeper, our own uh, group, uh, the Stone and Campbell Restoration Movement, I used to think it was three. Guess how many uh, groups there are now? There is eight. Why are we dividing ourselves? Are we dividing ourselves on the word of God? Or are we dividing ourselves on the opinions and preferences of man? The word of God is simple, plain, and true, easy to understand. I'm as dumb as a day-old duck, and I can understand it myself. Why do we have to have 200 denominations that's supposed to be preaching and teaching and learning from the same book? We have a Christian problem in the United States. We don't have a liberal problem in the United States. We're not conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of call, be called Christ as Christians on a whole because we're not studying our Bible. We're not living out our faith. We have faith. Oh, we'll tell people we've got faith, but do we really? Do we really want to obey God's word or is it only that when it's convenient for us that we call upon him in prayer? If it's only when we think we're going to get stripped of some kind of freedom or right as an American citizen, then we fall to our knees and worry to death about and wring our hands and make all of these claims what we will do and what should be done and what shouldn't be done. Why are we waiting till then when we're in trouble before we call upon the Lord? I thought that's what we were supposed to be doing every day of our life. Not just in the dark hours. We have to stand fast in one spirit. We have to be able to move forward, striving for the faith with one mind. We have overwhelming numbers, according to the polls. And we, we know the polls are never wrong, right? 
My gosh, how many polls have we had to hear over the course of the past three or four months? The polls are never wrong, but these I have pretty good confidence in because there's really no, no motivation to tweak these numbers. In the United States of America, we have overwhelming majority of people that say they're Christians. Why are we even having this discussion? Can somebody explain that to me? If you've got two-thirds of a country that claims they're Christian, why are we having this discussion? Because there's a problem. It's lip service, and we're going to have to get serious. And I know we view Second Chronicles all throughout this. And there's no doubt in my mind there are some Christians that have humbled themselves, turned from their wicked ways, they've repented of their sins, and they've prayed earnestly. But many people have looked at that scripture and thought, well, I'll give her a shot, and if it don't work, I'll just go back the way it was. I'm no worse off. Because I'm not really doing anything that wrong. And nobody knows what I'm doing anyhow but me. Folks, we're having a conversation here we should never be having. Not in this country. So my encouragement to you is this. Oh yeah, did you know that Christians are the largest religious group in the world? 31% of the world is Christian. 31% of the world is Christian. I've got, that's 2.7 billion that be Christians in the world. So not only do we have an overwhelming advantage in the United States of America, we're the, still the largest group in the world. Why are we having these discussions? Because we have left our first love, the Bible. We try to justify our actions by some worldly standard and we have abandoned God's word. That's why we're having this discussion. And that's why so many are scared. But notice what Paul says here as we look at this last portion in verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is evident to an evident token of destruction but to you of salvation and that of God. Now, that picture, I think that's an amusement park. Or the results of some people whenever they took uh, the final election count that certified it. I'm not sure which. But here's the simple thing. Why are we terrified? Why are we terrified for the results of any election in this United States. Who is it that we're supposed to depend upon? Did somebody vote God out of office? I need to know these things, okay? It's kind of important for me to know that if somebody voted God out of office, I need to be aware of that. Because I missed that somewhere. And his, so to speak, let's just use it in presidential term, and the vice president, Jesus. Somebody replace him? Why are we terrified? 
Why are we terrified in a nation that has had rocky roads and bad presidents and good presidents? Who knows? If this elect, and of course, here's where we are in this country today. It ain't over till the lawyers say it's over. That's where we are right now. There's still three states that's not even been officially called yet. The news is the one that proclaimed Biden and Harris as victors. Do you know that? So here we are getting all terrified for nothing because it ain't over till the lawyers say it's over in this country the way that, that's the way it works now. But let's just say the results that are posted are the results that, that are true. Do we abandon our Christianity? Do we go running and screaming and into the night? Do we, do we go lock up our doors and draw our shades and, and have blackouts like they did back in World War II so that the enemy can't see that I'm home? Is that what we do? Because what did Paul say? Be terrified in nothing because what happens if we are? Your adversary will take that as proof of your destruction. Oh, we got him now. We got these Christians on the run. And, and I don't think it's hardly that cynical and that evil. There's just people out here, and that's what we have to understand. A little more than half the people that voted in our election do not use biblical standards for their daily walk in life. I'm not indicting anybody. It's just a simple truth. Because you can't vote on a platform, and I'll just use one. You cannot vote on a platform of pro-life and pro-choice and call yourself a faithful Christian that adheres to God's word. You just can't do that. It is not possible. And if you take that one issue alone, that one issue, that should have decided it with 102 million votes instead of 70 million. So instead, we're going to vote for free ice cream. Okay? We're going to vote for somebody that because actually it's anyone but is the way I kind of looked at it. Because they didn't like their the uh, personality. They didn't like the way they conducted business. But you can't say anything about the business that was conducted and how it was good for our country. And thank God we had four years to bring this country back around to where we are today. Okay, And that's something I want us to remember. We need to be thankful because 2.75% mortgages ain't been around for many, many years. Gasoline is cheap as we've seen it. It's not been this cheap in many, many years. And all the other benefits that we have seen has been a blessing. Is it going to destroy our nation? If it God so wills it, it will. And that's what we have to understand. We either have to be all in, and I've been preaching this, and again, I'm not saying this really directed at anybody. I'm just, I'm hoping that it will go out. And people that normally don't hear me speak a message will hear this message. Maybe you can share it with people. I don't know. But if we're going to call ourselves a Christian nation, if two-thirds of us are going to call ourselves Christians, we had better start acting like it. 
and stop being terrified. I mean, it just makes no sense to me. We just sung this song, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Unless it don't go my way, then I'm running to the house. No, we're standing on the promises of Christ our King. Today and tomorrow and every day that we have left on this earth or until Christ returns, whichever. So listen, Christians acting like Christians is a living, walking, talking, breathing testimony to the power of God. And we still, we still, this because the way that we voted and the petition of prayer that we, that we put before God has went the other way does not mean that God doesn't love us. Does not mean that God has... Uh, Remove the power and protection and guidance of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is out of business to save. None of that is in effect. If that was the case, we would have a reason to be terrified. But that's not the case. So as Christians, we have this code of conduct that we must, we must in all instances follow. And as Americans... He's going to be our president for four years. We demanded that they respect President Trump. And in the face of that, we've seen disrespect. Are we going to do the same? Are we going to act the same way? Because that's, that's really what's got us where we are. I wish they would have disrespected and worked with him. Or do we want to see four more years of nothing happening? And put our faith in God and put our faith that there is something beyond this life. There is something greater than the United States of America. And there certainly is. And it's called heaven. And that should be our number one priority. Is to make sure that we are counted as a citizen of heaven above all things. And that's just a few things that I was thinking about over the past course of the week in light of the fact of Veterans Day. And I know there's a lot to chew on there, and I know there's a lot of that applies to each and every one of us in some way or another. And it's some things to be praying about, folks. We need to be praying about sending people to where Christianity is not recognized, Christianity is not practiced in our own country. We need missions to go to foreign lands, but we need missions right here in the United States of America. I remember Dennis making a comment several years ago on Wednesday night how that it was, wouldn't be too many years in the future they predicted other countries would be sending missionaries to the United States. I think that they need to do it now. If we don't have our own people that will go, then we need to start receiving people in from other countries. To, to preach the gospel. Be in prayer. Be in prayer for our fellow citizens that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We may have someone here this morning that's that same way. 
Maybe you come in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then what you have heard from our message, you've decided that you've heard it and you believe it. And you're willing to repent of your sins and confess Christ as your Savior. Be buried with him in baptism, in the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection. Raise that new creation, moving forward, serving faithful until he comes. Maybe we need to be in prayer for those Christians that have backslidden. Those Christians that do not see anything wrong with supporting agendas that are against the Bible. That's the ones that I would call in the military term as re-enlisting or rededicating yourself, as you hear me say. To get back to the truths of the Bible and follow them. Give up the things that you are turning your back on God for and come back to him because he's the only hope of salvation that you have. And to quote Phil Robertson, you're not getting out of here alive without Jesus Christ as your Savior. We've got to come back to America as a country, as two-thirds of this country has got to come back to the Lord. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation this morning, Almost Persuaded. And how many people were almost persuaded to vote a different way, but because of something else, they didn't. How many people are almost persuaded each time an invitation is given to come forward and accept Jesus Christ today only to find out or it to happen to work out it's too late next week. Something happened. And they didn't have that opportunity. They sing a verse, we sing a verse about that. Almost but lost. If you have a decision to make, would you come as we stand and sing?